0: i gotta watch my words here because i know the warriors are gonna smash me for this but <laughs> so um yeah. there was carbon bars that were you know rigid and you would feel it big time and because the brand equity of that brand uh was very high there would be customers or riders that would be like no i don't know what you're talking about it's great i love the logo it's sick this is the best bar ever and you know oh and then you put it on a test rig and you're like, Oof. you never see a person on a two-wheeled machine with a frown on their face, hating life. Keep. Like what have we as an industry done wrong not to keep the ridership that flooded into the market? So those people all bought bikes. They all created the demand. What did we do wrong not to keep them? And I think that's.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by 7Mesh. 7 Mesh is based in the mountains of British Columbia and was founded by three of the team from high-end outdoor clothing brand Arc'teryx. As you'd expect from that combo of challenging terrain, extremely varied weather and incredible skills and experience in the outdoor clothing world, 7 Mesh are making truly high-performance clothing for mountain biking, gravel and road riding. They're working super hard to give us new options and better solutions to meet our needs, which is designed to last the test of time, not just the next season. Needless to say, the performance is next level, but their gear is built to last in the harshest of conditions and to keep you comfortable for as long as you're prepared to go. Seven Mesh are always looking forwards, and they've just launched their brand new Airmap collection. Airmap uses a unique approach of different map layers that uses incoming air to expel warm moisture out of the garment, while blocking air and water in places where you need it. This allows them to individually tune the product's performance to the specific requirements of each area of the garment. And believe me, you can feel that when you're wearing it. The entire range is also free from PFAS and PFCs, known as the forever chemicals. Head to their website to find out more about the Airmap range. Alongside the AirMap range, they've also got lots of other incredible products that will improve your comfort, whatever the weather. I'd highly recommend checking out their Chilco Anorak, which was by far my most warm piece of bike clothing last autumn, winter, and spring, both on and off the bike. You can see the entire range at 7mesh.com. Whether you want to try 7mesh for the first time or you're already hooked, they're offering downtime listeners a 20% discount using the code 7meshxdowntime20. That's the number 7 followed by Meshxdowntime and then the number 20. All lowercase with no spaces. That's 7mesh x downtime20 over at 7mesh.com. Head over now and check them out, and what's even better is that they ship globally. So wherever you are, you can get your hands on some top quality riding gear. That code will run until the end of January 2024. Okay, just a few more quick things before we get stuck into this week's episode. If you want to help support the podcast, then you can either set up a regular donation via my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash or grab yourself some merch from downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop, or you can share the episode with your friends or on your social media and spread the word. I Really appreciate everyone who supports what I do. It really does make a huge difference. And thank you for your support. Also, don't forget to follow the podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. You can do that by hitting that button in your podcast app right now, or there's buttons for all the major platforms to help you over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can either listen to today's episode right here, or if you prefer to watch it, you can now do that over on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at Downtime podcast. I'll stick a link to that video in the show notes over on my website, downtimepodcast.com. All right, today I'm having a catch up with We Are One Composite's main man, Dustin Adams. We chat about their downhill bike project and some of the technology that's coming from that work. Hear Dustin's thoughts on how the bike industry dealt with the COVID bike boom, and you'll also hear about some of We Are One's upcoming products and plenty more. So without further ado, here's Dustin Adams. Dustin Adams, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast, man. It has been quite a while since we last chatted like in the thick of covid really september 2020 i think was the last time we did an episode together how have you oh, been wow.
0: yeah it's been a long time uh thanks for having me back on it's it's good to see your face again and, and chat uh lot, lots changed uh, been busy been working on lots of projects and uh trying to continue to make a, a positive change for manufacturing in
1: north america yeah, and it seems to be going pretty well. Let's let's dig into some of that stuff that you've been up to since we last chatted. And um, we'll start off with the bike because I think the last time we spoke, you were getting to the point where you were starting to realise just quite how much you'd bitten off uh, doing this bike project and like how big a deal it was to to get a bike out there, which is super interesting. Um, yeah. I think you were going back to the drawing board and a few elements. You were very much keen to make sure this thing was perfect before it went out there. Just give us a bit of an update on like how that project kind of ended up coming to fruition and and the arrival coming to market because I think it's been uh, a, a huge deal for you guys, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean that was that's the largest engineering exercise and uh exercise of patience and determination i think uh, i've ever been through in my life (laughs) and i think a lot of the team (laughs) as well uh yeah it's a big project i mean we we funnel a lot of sweat equity into it and a lot of time and energy and smart uh, decision making and challenges across all of it um you know i keep on going into the to the bookstore looking for the how to make a carbon frame for dummies, and I I still can't find it. So, uh, maybe we got a right one. But uh, yeah, I mean, there was no recipe, there was no um, direction, and we had to make a ton of mistakes in order to learn how to do it correctly. Uh, But the outcome we're really excited about. I mean, the product really does shine. Uh, We've seen very little uh, issues in production once the bike's underneath the customer. Uh, nothing we can't resolve and nothing of scale and it continues to really really uh, impress our customers uh, we've had people that say they bought a bike every year every couple of years and they're like I don't need to and I don't want to. I'm really happy with the arrival and uh, and the platform and we've had lots of customers go up and down in the travel uh, settings from the 152 to the 170 or even down to the 130 um, and it's providing a lot of value for customers Uh, once they've made the purchase, but yeah, making it was, was tough. I mean, we didn't have a test facility in house. Uh, We've since developed that. We developed a new test standard as to how to test the bike uh, and proof out our concepts. Um, There's a lot of challenges in how to bladder mold uh, very complex parts. We learned a lot about tooling. We've had tooling iterations, Uh, how tools should come together to be most effective. And we've changed a few of those processes along the way. Uh, Engineering laminates, how we can do it faster, uh, as effective and get the same result as the best result we've ever achieved or even improve on it if possible. Uh, Working with new materials, uh, core materials, uh, expanding materials, pivot materials, a lot of that stuff um, has been an iterative process uh and we got to the finished point uh, I think the one thing we've done really successfully is we made sure that all of that learning was done before the customer received the first bike so yeah. that's one thing that we really take pride in here at we are one and I think uh the result uh shows for sure
1: yeah do you think like irrespective of the fact that you've got a bike at the end of this thing that you can like ride and enjoy and that you can sell to other people to enjoy. Do you think the, the, the R&D project, the research that you've basically done creating that thing has been like a big level up for the whole business for like your ability to work with, you know, tooling, with carbon, with all of that kind of stuff. It feels like you've learned a lot. Absolutely. I mean,
0: making a rim is very complex in its own right, in its own manner. Same with a handlebar. Um, I still will hold true that a handlebar is the hardest carbon fiber part to make, period. Uh, Effective and also um, repeatable. But the frame was the most complex for sure. There's a lot of moving parts. A lot of things have to fall in place in in, in order of operations for it to be repeated. Uh, SOPs and apply manuals, apply schedules, and a lot of the like... You know, some manufacturer scaling uh, documentation that goes along with such a such a huge project uh, is is a massive undertaking. Let alone just you know taking the bike, putting it into a mold, taking it out of the mold, and sanding it and painting it and getting it ready for the customer and assembling it. Uh, the back end work was uh, a huge learning lesson uh, for tracking documentation. Um, Uh, quality control along the process, stuff like that, you know, checking and making sure everything's right the whole way along and catching things before you spend too much time realizing that that part maybe is
1: a failure and needs to be scrapped. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe like a painful project at points in time, but something that's (laughs) ultimately like benefited the entire business.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's an understatement. Painful. (laughs) it, It was a lesson of banging your head against the wall for two years. Um, there's a lot of very, very lows, uh, very frustrated moments, and tempers flared and um, you know, tools flew, but uh, that's something, you, you're when you undertake something like this, that's just accepted as part of it. Um, like I say, there's no handbook, there's no person we could have hired that had the experience and was ready to rock. I mean, sorry, aside from Vlad, who brought a, a good level of knowledge to make our to make R&D samples and test samples but as far as like scaling this sucker out um this has never been done by anybody so uh, now that we know it and have that knowledge um we feel no fear going forward um or hesitation moving forward to to attempt something even larger or grandiose so uh, above uh, a bike frame
1: yeah that's awesome to hear was it pretty emotional then finally kind of getting it out there and getting <laughs> it in other people's hands it must have felt pretty special
0: oh for sure yeah it was uh it was a huge achievement for from the company and for everybody uh that was involved and i think every day we we pinch ourselves when we see someone ride by or drive by with one in their vehicle and um we successfully put uh our thousandth frame into the market uh, a month and a half ago. And uh, we're just really excited to, to achieve that kind of a milestone um, from, from nothing. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge success for everyone that was involved. And for me personally, I feel really proud of what we've achieved as a team. Um, I never would have dreamed of such a, an achievement or a, a part in my life. Um, I always wanted to ride a bike I made, but I always thought that was going to be like a welded titanium or a steel bike. Uh, never in my wildest dreams would i have imagined uh where we are right now so yeah it's it's pretty emotional and uh at times (laughs) you catch me crying (laughs) like a baby about the excitement (laughs) to just the sheer magnitude of it all it does trip me up for sure
1: yeah well the name arrival sort of suggests kind of something was quite important about that for you guys like it feels that name has a weight to it certainly for me anyway it feels like a child being born kind of thing
0: yeah, I mean, it was, it was all of our, I mean, it's exactly, it. it was our baby. We poured our heart and soul into it and it had to arrive and, um, we'll see that name evolve, uh, as we, as we go down to.
1: Nice. Do you think it's harder to get a bike out there or at least get a bike out there successfully these days? Cause certainly when I started riding the bikes I grew up with, it was just kind of accepted that at some point you were going to break stuff like frames got cracked, you know, suspension blew up, things didn't work definitely kinematics and geometry were not amazing and they've progressed but it feels like the you know the bar the barrier to entry in the bike world now is a lot lot higher it must be a, a a big one to leap over that and get a bike out successfully
0: yeah i mean like anything you need early adopters to take a material and to to give it to the masses be it right or wrong i'm not here to judge um it's a challenge for everybody even if you were you know bringing parts from from overseas, you, they still had to learn how to do this, so I can appreciate that, and I respect uh, everyone that has ever done such a thing. And it was because of them that they allowed this progression to happen so quickly. Um, and I think we just happened to land in, this, in a time where the the bar is set high, um, and we didn't want to just meet it; we wanted to surpass it. So that was the challenge is like okay bikes are fairly damn good right now but we know we could do better we got to take the time to figure out what that looks like and and we set a lofty goal um you know to have a bike last more than 10 years at minimum um was our challenge and uh, i think uh, through some very n- nagging and uh, very careful detailed analysis and not accepting the status quo at any point and always pushing for better um i think that's what the arrival is
1: yeah nice and uh it's been a little bit quiet on the bike front for a while but then recently we saw this we are one downhill bike splashed across (laughs) the internet which i think got a few people revved up and excited but um my understanding is it's more of a kind of a test mule for componentry but yeah just tell us a little bit about the downhill project.
0: Yeah, it's a really cool project. So if from uh, the side view, you look at it and you know it looks like this, it looks like that. But it's really, really interesting. We took a, uh, a front triangle of an extra large uh, arrival stock build, uh, sectioned it off and bonded in a, a new mid-frame, which is uh, the current downhill bike that you see there. And then uh, we linkaged that up and paired it with a, an arrival stock rear end uh, on a, either a larger or an extra larger test testing all of it. But um, it was the quickest way for us to get a bike underneath us, start really learning about kinematics and kinematic values that work for downhill racing or what's the difference between that and maybe riding in the park. It's someone who wants to ride a downhill bike just so they don't get beat up and they can ride the park all day long. What are they looking for? So geometry and kinematics, we needed a platform to really start messing with it and if you really pay attention to how that bike is uh, put together by Vlad and the team and it gives us a massive platform to really start twisting knobs um, on one particular aspect of the kinematic or one particular aspect of the geometry and doing back-to-back testing and seeing if the changes are tangibly felt by you know a high level rider or a beginner or an entry level rider or someone that's just kind of like getting uh into really tweaking with things so we want to quantify what we do so we couldn't do that with another person's bike we needed a platform to mess with it and mm-hmm. also we needed a platform to push downhill developed products we know we do well with uh, enduro and and like, um, like trail products and our rim side of things and our handlebars but we don't have a platform to really push the levels of of continuous fatigue and uh and use that as a development tool um so yeah it's it's an all-encompassing project that yeah i mean there'll be a time when that bike becomes a bike um but for now it's it's a learning tool and it's a it's an exercise in
1: engineering for us for sure uh, is it really just because you wanted a downhill bike again, Dustin?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there is also that too. Yeah, no, I, 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 if I was going to ride a bike at that point, I, it had to be had to be something we could make. But yeah, that was a main motivator for a lot of us um, in house here. We've got some pretty big downhill fans, and, um, me included, and uh, Vlad's been wanting a downhill bike. He's been kind of sick of uh, going to Whistler and pounding an arrival into the dust every weekend and <laughs> and uh, and just getting sore and beat up so he wanted to, he wanted a down a bike to play around on and um, it was a pretty low uh, a low cost um exercise to get it there so yeah we're we're pretty stoked it's a cool yeah. engineering exercise too i mean it's got a shock tunnel we've never done a captive part before uh-huh. in a three-dimensional manner manner like that so this is a really good exercise right off the hop for the engineering team and uh, i think the deliverable is is really amazing it's actually a lot of fun to ride
1: nice you're well, yeah you raced it recently right the canada cup <laughs> Wow.
0: Well, you know in a old man's category yeah i I, <laughs> I did take it down the hill and got a time yeah it was it was it's the initial ride on it blew my mind and i couldn't i still can't quantify if it's if it's modern bike and modern kinematics and modern suspension that gives you just a an, a, an elevated experience that you've never thought possible um, there's no way even at my prime uh i felt i was going as fast as i was the minute i hopped on this bike
1: no yeah uh, and, and i guess we th- should say that you were an ex world cup racer at a pretty high <laughs> level for people yeah. that haven't listened to earlier episodes with you but yeah just to quantify yeah, I, that you know what going fast means right I,
0: yeah i it, it's i know that it's not the bike let's uh-huh. put it that way like it's shocking to know there's so much more left in the tank if I was just willing to let go of the brakes and maybe my my hand-eye coordination and timing was what it once was when I was in my early 20s, uh, I would be fearful of how fast you could push this thing. Uh, And and in a confident manner. It's never left me wondering, like, oh, God, this is uneasy. It's just planted and it goes. And it picks up speed at a rate that is scary. Um, (laughs) And and that's what you want in a downhill race bike. Like, I'm, I'm not building a downhill race bike to make it comfortable i wanted to win races right so
1: yeah for sure yeah, yeah. exciting stuff man and so i guess yeah this this uh sh- downhill chassis enabling you to test downhill parts means that we'll be seeing some more like downhill focused uh product coming I, th- I feel like you've kind of soft launch maybe that there's a direct mount stem that was shown on that bike which has got this like a variable stiffness by swapping the halves tell us a bit about that
0: yeah, all of our cockpits are up for a revamp, and we're currently going through a pretty big uh, engineering exercise on the downhill side of it. Uh, we firmly believe we've got a great new technology and design for a handlebar that uh, we're proofing out. The stem is going to be the the kind of the well, it was the easiest, lowest hanging fruit to get to market, um, and it's got a really unique proposition matched with the bars, so. That will be coming down the pipe, and it's a, you know, a simple direct mount stem, but it's built in with some uh, stiffness. Uh, uh, what would you call tuning characteristics or tuning abilities that yeah. really yet yet to launch? And um, I think once that whole uh, that whole line comes out uh it'll be fairly unique and it, it'll be a really solid project uh like the product itself is great we've been working with a lot of different materials and the handlebars and shapes and stuff like that and i think we've landed on a, an amazing product that is extremely light uh and is well beyond what we had previously manufactured
1: okay interesting yeah. and you you alluded to the fact earlier that handlebar is the most complicated thing to make from carbon what is it about the bar that makes it so tricky
0: uh it's probably the way we manufacture so so i I think it's uh it's a handlebar isn't impossible it's it's a big challenge but the way we manufacture it to ensure we get uh very very consistent results uh, from bar to bar to bar and ensure that we take people's lives, uh, and, and safety in, in, into, into con- like, in, into context. And we really care about that. So we want to make sure we're going to put this on someone's bike. Like failure is not an option. Um, and, uh, to do that right. And to get the results that we're getting, uh, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. Uh, I developed the original laminate since, uh, or our second iteration, um that was a six month uh project just for myself to get the bar laminate to where i was able to repeat the consistency of um of of the outcome and yeah it's it's i don't think it's for the faint of heart i really don't (laughs) i think there's a lot of a lot of black magic that happens with the fiber that isn't strain it isn't compression it's like there's a lot of tube strength there's tubular movement there's so much that happens um, and orientation changes uh, during a bar's movement and compression and uh, and, and and flex um, that there's nothing really else like it. It's, it's unique and it offers a very big challenge with the underside of the bar being in compression, top side mm-hmm. being in tension. Yeah. You take what carbon is really good for on the top and you think you can just replicate it in a, in a, in a, circular manner and you know put it in the bottom and it behaves completely poorly so you have to do this fine balancing act of trying to figure out which laminate goes where and which orientation you need or maybe which fiber you need or material need to make it uh, a success Uh, and that's that was a really really tough challenge and i if we had not done that i think making the actual tubular structure of a bike would have taken us a lot longer
1: Interesting. So, what you learned from doing the handlebar, the original like the package bar and stem, you think helped you with the the arrival project and bike work related work?
0: Absolutely. I mean, you, yeah. you work on connectivity. You work on you know how shape change in design. Uh, needs to be impacted by your fab- fiber orientation your laminate positioning um, where your overlaps are how your overlaps need to be how much overlap you can have there's so much that goes into it um, uh, and yeah it was it was it was key that we did that I'm glad that we did learn that before time uh, before we started the frame project
1: Yeah, and that the original depackage bar and stem, I think was it was a thirty-three mil bar, wasn't it? Then with the shim around it to fit into the stem, which is like why it's called depackage, I guess. (laughs) Is it right that you're going to be making some alternative shims for that bar so that people can run it in thirty-one point eight or thirty-five mil stems as well soon?
0: Yeah, the 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 package product itself, um, be it that we've maybe not. I'm more than likely because we're not the best marketers. We're working on that. Uh, We've actually got a brand manager and a marketing department now. So hopefully the next product launch will be a lot more effective and it has proven out. You see what happened on the last arrival, but um, we didn't do a good job selling it and the market hasn't really taken up to it. I think they're slowly catching on, but it's developed as a system. So a lot of people say, well, I don't like the looks of the stem uh, or this or that, but the, it's an engineered project, so the stem needed to be very boxy and stiff laterally mm-hmm. uh, in order to get the bar to have the best characteristics out of the carbon fiber. You needed to isolate it, so yeah. the stem is stiff, the bar is not. If the stem is, isn't is stiff uh, and the bar is uh, also got some movement, now you're having this accentuated feel, and what are you feeling? Uh, it becomes vague, and this was i'm not saying we're right and everyone else is wrong but for us the best ride feel was what we've put to the market um, okay. for that cockpit and I think aesthetically stems have become this jewelry or trinket uh, that goes on bikes and it's never really been designed or, or or thought of as an engineered practice or engineered product to give you the best cockpit or ride feel out of out of your you know your attachment to the bike which is you know, you got 50% of your body's hanging off those bars. You know, two yeah. two hands and two feet, that's all you got. So you think that more people would pay attention to that, but the market just seems to think that a. Uh, I don't want to speak for the market, sorry, I'll back that up. The market seems to appreciate a flashy stem with uh, machined lines in it and a logo with no rhyme or reason around the design of benefit for the cockpit, um, which. I scratch my head at, but mm-hmm. I'm not the market. So yeah, we. Long story short, with all of that, we've decided to take a knee and we'll be offering uh, a sleeve that goes over the bar, so people can appreciate the bar with whichever stem they choose. Yeah, uh, and we will still then continue with the the the, the package as that like supremely engineered project where we feel is the
1: is the best contact point for the for the riders. Yeah, interesting. I'd say that goes as far as like the whole interface, the bar as well. To a greater extent, I don't think a huge amount of people appreciate yet how much impact the stiffness and the characteristics of that product can impact their riding. I think they might feel it, but they probably don't really realize necessarily where it's coming from in a lot of instances. I I think the market is starting to change and starting to wise up more to like stiffness. And, you know, I think we used to think that stiff was good and it was that simple if that makes sense whereas i think that it, that is starting to change and especially with the ability carbon has in frames wheels bars etc to tune that stiffness in multiple directions and conditions and I, I don't know i don't know how you feel about that
0: yeah it's uh, well uh, stiffness is subjective in my opinion you can uh-huh. put it onto a test rig and you can say anything you want but I, it's it's very difficult for a test rig i gotta watch my words here because i know the warriors are going to smash me for this but (laughs) so it's very difficult to get all of the frequencies that you feel through your hands on a handlebar onto a test rig and determine that one outcome is better than the other yeah yeah, because for one human they might say yeah i agree and the other one is like no it's crap so Your outcome, this is the beautiful thing about making products, is you make it for what you as a company and you as an engineering team feel is the best outcome for the market. And I've really wanted to hammer that home more and more over the last year and a bit because I don't think anyone's doing anything wrong or poorly. It's just different. And they're making projects and some people appreciate it. Other people don't. And yep. that's the cool thing about it. It's everybody's a little spice of life here, right? And if it was just one project that was the best and that's it, it'd all be pretty boring. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like we are more in tune with it as an industry because we're looking always for that next improvement, that next iteration of of how to be better or, or how the product could improve the rider's um, enjoyment on the bike. Yep. And, and I think... Stiffness is definitely coming into play. I, you know attuned stiffness is tangible. You can feel it, um, but some people maybe can't. So I, that's why I say stiffness is subjective. Um, yeah. there was carbon bars that were, you know, rigid, and you would feel it big time. And because the brand equity of that brand uh, was very high, there would be customers or riders that'd be like, No, I don't know what you're talking about. It's great. I love the logo. It's sick. This is the best bar ever. And you, know, oh. and then you put it on a test rig and you're like, Ooh. Uh <laughs> So you have, it's it's weird when you're on this side of the fence, you have tangible data and then you have subjective outcome out there telling you that the tangible data is wrong. And you're like, uh, What are we? So that's why it's completely subjective. Yeah. Uh, and and you can't, like, I, I can't put out there every single bar study we've done with all of our competitors and and then say well this is this is the this is the outcome and then you what are you as, as a consumer supposed to be like well i want what which one is right for you which yeah, one yeah. is better which one is wrong right? there's yeah. no real way to say right so it depends on what people want
1: you got to offer i think a, a multitude of options and that's why it's fun it is yeah there's always plenty of stuff to to choose from whenever you're looking for new things for your bike Along along in the last year as well, you've made like a pretty major update to the wheel lineup, I guess, with the introduction of the convergence wheels, which we've been lucky enough to have on the downhill bikes that we've been running for our little downhill racing project this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, as always, with VR1 wheels that I've had in the past, we've had no issues um, and been super happy with them. But yeah, tell us about that, because it's, it's quite a departure from the design of the original wheel lineup. There's quite a lot of change mm-hmm. there. You've obviously done some learning over the years and some, some serious kind of refinement into the Convergence lineup.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really fun project. Um, when Vlad came on, I was very happy uh, to finally have somebody to take my brain, my idea, my concept in my head that I had brewing. This was uh, this has been an idea of mine since, I think, the first year of production of the Revolution. So we're going to say maybe four, three years ago I had this yeah. idea that external shape drives the internal shape and the best way to solve this nipple articulation issue is to cant or or angle the outside of the rim so that the carbon follows that shape internally and it gets it perfect
1: perfectly can perpendicular you, can you just explain the nipple articulation issue in the first place so just so people kind of understand what you're Sure. kind of battling with yeah
0: yeah i mean so early well both the revolution and the the movement line when you place a, uh, a like we call it the nipple bed or it's the 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 carbon fiber package that makes up where the nipple hole is drilled so and it needs to be a certain thickness so that the nipple goes through connects to the spoke and it's 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 uh, it's right uh or it's safe um that generally laid flat on the inside of the rim mm-hmm. so it wasn't if you drilled a seven and a half degree angle it ran into a non-perpendicular surface on the inside of the rim yeah. so when you put a nipple in it had to come up and then cant itself and then it would point load on the opposing side of where the where the spoke was going yeah. so it, it stressed this stresses the system uh thank god supine makes like a fantastic nipple and a fantastic spoke but over time when the carbon rim goes you know carbon rims have a a memory you can flex them out of out of position but when they come back nipples and spokes take up quite a lot of of jarring and smacking and smacking it will fatigue over time and uh, we were finding that after like a year, some, a year of really aggressive riding, uh, or more, there was no like point in time, but after around a year you would start to see, oh, I'm popping a spoke and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it was like, okay, we'll replace that one. And then it was like, oh, I'm popping four spokes and then we replace those four and then off oh, three more. And then it was just like, okay, we've reached the fatigue life of those products. Uh, and we have to rebuild the wheel completely with spokes and new nipples. So yeah what we're seeing is because nipples and spokes haven't been right-sized for carbon rims and the amount of smacking and moving around, they're just the same nipple that we've always dealt with. Um, and the same spokes, we'll see these fatigue cycles blow up. So I was thinking like, well, how could we make this less point loaded on the nipples and, and spokes? Cause you, you get this really like, like a acute looking bend that's not, nice it's like you can see it's it's forcing forcing it over and that's why the, the shape of the nipples are like bulbous because they're meant to kind of like give a little bit of movement yeah um it wasn't it, i don't consider that a problem but there was a room for improvement yeah um and that's what the convergence does so it, it articulates in a manner from seven and a half degree on one side to seven and a half degree on the other side um so I just needed a guy that was as smart as Vlad to uh, to design the ID and connect it all together and be able to mold it. Um, and I was lucky enough that he was able to help me uh, get that project uh, to the engineers so they could start working on the laminates.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty insane, like when you look at the rim itself, like the, the wiggle that it gives you, which I guess is the parting line of the tools, mm-hmm. it must be really hard to to make those things like to to cut the tools and get everything to fit super well because i know from the start you've always wanted your product to be like good pretty much good to go from out of the mold it doesn't have a load of like rework and polish and filler and all that kind of stuff added to to hide any issues along the way like it's you want it out of the mold good which must be tricky with those
0: yeah, well, we were we were very nervous about it because it does create quite a dainty parting line uh, in the mold, and the, the 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 parting line is still up and down in the mold. So you that movement, you can see it. Um, one mold half has another, and we were concerned that like during handling and in, in the production, uh, they would be easily damaged. Uh, lo and behold, to us, because they're dainty, because they are. Um, they are a little bit more easily prone to damage, we found our staff actually cared more. Uh, okay. And we've actually seen mold damage be reduced because of it. So, no way. Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit harder to machine, definitely. It takes a little more time, but we also see a lot more mold uptime and a lot less mold damage because of it. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah, weird learning uh, outcome, but uh, we'll take it.
1: Yeah, there's more of a like a work of art feel, I guess, to those molds than maybe to the previous rim molds. Like they look kind of they look special, right?
0: Yeah, they definitely do for sure. I mean, you can see it when you put the two halves together; they got to mate perfectly, and um, the guys definitely uh, take their time with it. And uh, that was unbeknownst; that wasn't forced. They were just like, "Oh, this looks expensive and very very dainty. We better we better be careful." Um, (laughs) And it's been working great, so uh, we'll take it for now.
1: Nice, and you've pushed up impact strength and improved the ride fill as well with co- the convergence wheels. Like, is that through just improved yeah. learnings along the way, or have you like used different laminates and layups? And
0: we've never stopped looking at what the best possible outcome for the most durable carbon rim product on the market is. Uh, I still, even though we did make a massive improvement, think that we've. We've learned or are learning even more Uh, each day we're in the test facility working to improve it. Um, I think that with some new onset materials that we're working with that uh, improve some of the other weird reasons that these rims may fail um, and also the the matrixes that we're playing with that we still have a lot more to go, which is exciting. Um, even though each time we're wanting up, or you know, going above and beyond where we were previously, uh, I think that the ride feel of the Convergence is amazing. It's a nice, damped uh, ride feel that's confidence-inspiring and also has a, the right stiffness in the right places. Uh, but I still know that we're going to make big moves on that design um, with the laminate here um, as we progress as well. So it's exciting times in the composites industry because – Aerospace has slowed quite a bit. Um, huh. Vendors are more willing to open up their their book of tricks and work uh. with the sporting goods side of things. So uh, we've been having our and our plus our volumes are way where north of where they were when we started. So we're now. A very serious customer and uh, if one of our vendors our carbon vendors loses it loses us it would be not a you know it's not like losing boeing but it's enough business to to make it not feel so good so they want to work with us now and we're having more meaningful discussions around um, composition and, and matrices and uh, fibers and what they can do for us and if we want something specifically designed and made they're willing to enter into r&d so uh, it's really exciting
1: yeah, that's really cool to hear, man. And uh, I've spotted, uh, at least on one occasion, a photograph from within We Are One with uh, one of the team wearing a T-shirt with Kaizen written on the back of it, which is an ex-engineer uh, put a smile on my face. But for people maybe that don't know what Kaizen is, like, can you explain that and why Why is that so important to you to bring that, like, I guess, initially Japanese philosophy into the company?
0: Yeah, I would say we we westernized the, the Japanese philosophy. So uh, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Uh, the culture needs to buy into it first and foremost. So we wanted to give our our manufacturing um, employees or any employee for that matter the power to make decision and make change, um, recognize problems and fix them without any friction. Um, and Kaizen was a a fantastic tool that kind of laid out uh the maybe not to the t but the the format that we would go about that um and in order to really hit home we had to have the culture and and the buy-in from the employees so um yeah we started out with a, a cool <laughs> i am i am kaizen af i think it says yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah it was kind of like all in like a like a samurai sword kind of uh um font but uh, yeah it was a fun way to get people engaged and uh, and then training the managers and and the production staff on how to go about it and we've got a great kaizen board going that we discuss uh, every day we've implemented a, a mandatory um shift meeting every day where we Discuss opportunities of improvement, and projects we've been working on, um, all the way down to the the shop floor and up to the top, and uh, everybody is um, is given the opportunity to to uh, to be engaged and 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 be in, involved. And we've done some pretty cool things. I mean, the kaizen board is a four by eight sheet of. Um, uh, like it's a laminate and we write on there everything that we do every time we have a Kaizen victory or, or a win or something we're working on and how things evolve so there's some cool stories being told on there and uh, that four by that four foot by eight foot uh, um, board is is almost full of no space left in in only uh, in eight well it's actually almost a year almost 12 months now yeah okay amazing
1: mm-hmm. has that philosophy of like continuous improvement is that part of What's gone into this recent announcement, like I saw in the across a lot of the websites recently, you lowered the prices of all your wheels, which is not something we're very used to seeing, um, certainly not at the moment. We're seeing sales from brands, because I think there's a lot of people flooded with stock, but this is very different. Like This is a permanent reduction in price. What? Where does that come from as a business?
0: Uh, well, I mean, you make rims for, you know, it's, we're going on six, almost seven years now. Um, your processes... Improve your people, improve your outputs, improve um, everything along the w- uh, along the way. Improves um, and the market is 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 needing some support. Uh, we felt that it was right for us to share that with the ridership out there and support them and get the best product and make it easier to obtain um and we know that we're we're still profitable um doing that and 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 allowing people to to enjoy the product um you you have to read the room and you have to see what's going on in the industry and and if you do right now you know that uh it's not easy to sell product um and we don't have an inventory issue, uh, and we still need to be relevant, and we would we would need to compete in this space. And we felt that this is this is the right thing to do, and, and we don't want it to be known as a discount brand, and uh, we would rather be known as the brand that supports uh, the economy and and the and the the, the economic times, and uh, we have the ability to do it, so we
1: did. Yeah, good on you. It's cool to see, and yeah, you, you allude to these like inventory issues that a lot of brands are facing. There's a lot of problems, I guess, with orders maybe being placed in the COVID boom with super long lead times, really like affected uh, supply chains from everything that went on with COVID. You know, loads of crazy things happened. Loads of factories were shut for ages. Shipping prices went insane. Lead Mm -hmm. times went up. um, And a lot of that has kind of arrived now as demand has, has dropped off with like cost of living, all this kind of stuff, I guess like you guys from the very get-go like have managed the vast majority of your own supply chain so you have control from making your own molds doing all the build of the wheels in-house has that helped you through all of this keep you in a you know in a better situation as a business
0: absolutely i mean this is this is what i built um i wanted something that wasn't part of global economics and it wasn't affected uh, in a sense that it would bury us if we got caught up in such a thing. Um, and we, we, we knew all along this was coming. Um, greed got the best of us as an industry and as as a, as a whole. And now we're paying for it. Uh, our only, um, our only demand for us was carbon fiber and, Based on what we needed to make, we order that much carbon fiber, and we do that every two months. So I sat on two months of inventory um, that maybe needed to go to a third month at the best, and we still then reordered. So we didn't get caught up in the mess. We didn't play the game like everybody else was. And I think um, this year we're trending at about 15% up over 2022's numbers in revenue um, and it's showing that uh, this model is proving out to be uh, possible and, mm-hmm. and profitable uh, in comparison. So it sucks that we're all tied to this because of decisions that were made. Um, and I'm more inclined to wonder how we didn't keep, like what have we as an industry done wrong not to keep the ridership that flooded into the market? So those people all bought bikes. They all created the demand. What did we do wrong not to keep them? And I think that's where I'd like to spend my time thinking about things because um, in theory, if we had done a good job at keeping them and and, and including them and and making them a part of the, uh, the excitement that riding brings to a human, uh, we wouldn't be in this position. I think we would have people upgrading to the next bike like we all did um, uh, when we got into the sport i mean i'm, I'm not foolhardy to think that 100 percent of them would have been that would have been great but in reality i think we lost a good number of people and i, I would like to know why that's where i'm focusing my attention
1: yeah do you think do you think there are potentially then issues in that in the kind of early stages of joining the sport like that the entry into the sport maybe isn't as good an experience as it could be
0: uh, yeah, definitely. I, okay. I, I, it's tough. I mean, we deal with it internally. I mean, we do a group ride and, um, it's hard for people to start riding and it, it's not a new, this isn't new, this isn't unique to a certain subset of people or unique to a, um, a, a, a demographic mountain biking is hard. It's always been hard. It's meant yeah. to have been hard. Um, and I just think the, the, immediate need for success um squanders away the joy of learning it's uh, it's fun it was it's it's it was an experience 10 years plus to get decent at riding a bike and you were the last person in the group ride and they would take off before you caught your <laughs> breath and that was part of the joy and i think that the challenge has been has been forgotten about and this this need for no pain and 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 uh, immediate uh, um, success with the onset of like e-bikes and whatnot is good. It's helping for sure because the hardest part is always like, oh shit, I got to go to the top of that freaking thing over there, and yeah. and you're gonna like leave me in the dust. That basically like I can be needle shooter tomorrow with the purchase of an e-bike, which is great. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's helping, no doubt about it. But I feel like we might be losing again the joy of the experience and uh the joy of of why we got into this and what the outcome is and and you know instead of more laps it's more like look around and enjoy the chats on the climbs and and mm-hmm. the, the nature you're in and the time you're spent outside instead of pounding out more laps cuz it's a short-sighted message that i think skews like maybe what mountain biking was at the core it was about getting out with your friends and you know, it was freedom to go places. Yeah, um, and I'm I, I'm I'm the old guy here, and I, I, you don't see it, but I got a lot of gray in my beard. But <laughs> I might be that cantankerous old guy, but it still is why I get on a bike. I could be riding any two wheeled opportunity, and I'm excited. I you never see a person on a two wheeled machine with a frown on their face hating life. Yeah, um, it's it's a joy, the movement, the ability and the freedom that mountain biking or a bike brings to a person should be relished and, and celebrated. And I think if we focus the attention on that and always having fun and, and accepting the challenge and accepting the people that come into the sport are going to challenge and also the people that come into the sport accepting the fact that they're not going to be the best for a good solid period of time because it's going to take you time like everybody else. Um, I feel like the, the, it might be a little more of a friendly environment. I think a lot of people feel measured right away. You know, you come on a group ride and you're measured as to how fast you are or can you keep up? And yeah, it's daunting. I, I don't, I don't claim to have the answer for that as to what we need to do, but, uh, I definitely need to analyze it and, and, and figure out how we can make that a mutually agreeable space for both parties because mm-hmm. you know people are already into it they've been into it for a number of years and then there's people that are entering into it and we can't really forget about the people at the top because i feel like that's happening with trail networks and whatnot we're building so much green and blue trails that where does the people at the at the top ride now yeah the opportunities are quite slim and they're dying every day So somehow we need to come to some kind of um, symbiosis where everybody gets a little piece of the pie and understands maybe how they fit into it.
1: Yeah, it's a tricky balance, I guess. Like it's a sport, certainly in the gravity side of it, that like we almost define it by it being gnarly, but everyone's definition of gnarly is different. Like I I know that I've been on rides in certain areas where I'm like pretty scared Mm -hmm. and pretty, you know, really struggling on trails that, these people find that's normal, you know? And then I might go somewhere else where the trails that they think are gnarly are, like seem kind of tame to me. So there's this <laughs> huge spectrum of what gnarly is. Mm-hmm. So you we take what we know for granted, bring someone in and be like, yeah, come and have a get at this. It's cool. Like, but not everyone's definition is the same. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess just being aware of like skill set and experience and comfort and all that kind of stuff and trying to help People have good experiences on bikes all the time rather than just trying to scare them maybe. Yeah, I mean we – so I I
0: was thinking about this the other day because we're doing – we're at the downhill race. My kids are – well, one of my kids is racing um, or he wants to get into it. So I was thinking back to when I was 14 and got into the sport and uh, what is gnarly. Gnarly for us was going to the elementary school where there was a flight of six stairs (laughs) And who was going to be the crazy person to ride down those six stairs on their hardtail? That was gnarly. Like, that was insane. We watched one of our friends do it for months on end until one of us got the gumption up to go ahead and try it. And realize that, oh, okay, now we've conquered riding down the stairs. That I am now gnarly. Today, gnarly is... You're 14. Did you backflip the crab apple hits at Whistler? What oh, are yeah. you? A, what are you a rookie? It's yeah. like there's a massive gap between between both of those outcomes, and yeah. the lived experience for uh, young kids entering in where they're nimble, like little gumbies, uh, is is. I mean, that's amazing how quick they progress. But then you look at where. The market is when you're 40 getting into it um and you're saying exactly it you know you got taken down a trail where you're way out of your breath and your friends did it thinking you might be able to to do it i think as a rider you have to accept your position and walk be okay with that it's totally fine but but like the kaizen mentality and i have really got into stoicism and whatnot lately Mm -hmm. um Today I'm here. Tomorrow I can be just a little bit better. And if I keep progressing, I can ride that. So don't give up. Don't feel like you're smaller or inferior. You have a place in this world too uh, on the on a bike. you know, Maybe you smash everybody up the hill and you win that. So there's always – uh, that's the beautiful dynamic nature of mountain biking is because you aren't good at one thing doesn't mean you're not good at everything. You can be really good at – riding up or riding sideways or riding across roots, or riding in the wet versus the dry like aim for something and, and and try to perfect that and then build your tool set out and before you know it in five to six years of that enjoyment of building your tools uh, and your craft because I think of mountain biking as a craft then you're going to be damn good and that's something that's going to make you better as a person because look at what you've done you've come from barely doing anything this sport's too hard for me to now i've dedicated myself to it and wow look at me go now and what does it look like in another five years um and it doesn't happen overnight it's not buy an e-bike and you're freaking nino shooter that's the (laughs) wrong message
1: yeah yeah nice i like the way you look at it it's a really yeah it's a really nice lens to look at it through man well we'll come back to we are one (laughs) i could talk about this (laughs) stuff uh for days, because I do, I think about a lot of the same stuff. But I'm kind of interested in how much the company's grown in the last few years, because the growth rate for We Are One has been pretty insane. I think, like, how, where are you at now? Staff numbers? It must be pretty big.
0: oh uh, we've so yeah, we grew, no doubt about it. Like everybody else, did we grow smart during COVID? No, we got caught in the mess, no doubt okay. about it. The hardest. The hardest time in business for me was uh, October of last year. Um, we were at ninety-eight staff, and we had to reduce it down to just over fifty. Wow! In order, in order to kind
1: of go with the cash flow projections yeah, and whatnot. That's
0: pretty um, brutal.
1: As as the person that's in charge of doing that, I guess that's that's horrible, yeah. right?
0: It was it was the single hardest thing I've ever had to do. But I mean, uh, I. have feel for every one of those people because i know they poured their heart into our company and they were a part of the success even today and we'll always be indebted to them uh for that Mm -hmm. um the time and the service um and we wish a a great number of them could be back but the unfortunate nature of businesses you have to keep the, the, the bus going in the right direction and driving it off the cliff uh, for the sake of everybody's well being is is just not possible, unfortunately. Yeah. and you, you, you they don't teach you this when you're leading. Um, and because I've never been through it, I took it really hard. It was a very very dark time for me. Like, yeah, I, 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 I don't worry about me. I'm worried about the people. It sucked. And um, we we switched on the kaizen tap. We pivoted. Um, we re implemented a bunch of things, and it's made us uh, a lot more effective. and uh, mm-hmm. We've been able to operate leaner and smarter because of it. Uh, and the outcome now, are, we're up to 70 employees. Um, and and, st- and we're actually now growing, not for the sake of, oh shit, orders are coming in, we need more people. We're growing now much smarter. So okay. we realize well in advance uh, that we need a person. We define that person. Our hiring practices are getting a lot better the company culture and fit is like on, it's not dialed, but it's being sussed out in a manner that we ensure the, the right person is going to join our company and make this place better and be a part of a bigger whole. Um, and now we're growing smart. Um, we had to go back and redo our strategic plan and we're going through it again because of the big shift in the economy in the last three to four months. Um, but I think, more now than ever we've got a really good solid amount of manufacturing power um, and our employees are super engaged and and we're in a really really good spot.
1: yeah man and you've like you've clearly learned a huge amount on the engineering side over the last six or seven years of doing this business but it feels like you've learned probably even more on like the business and the human side, the culture, all of this kind of stuff. it feels like it's been a massive, learning curve for you to get to where you are today with this and like have a company that's working so much better together, I guess, as not as a like a cohesive bunch.
0: Yeah, I mean I can appreciate you. you can you can see that, Chris, honestly. It's uh it's been a ride, man. I uh I'm not an MBA. I'm not a classic, you know, off Wall Street CEO. Um I've done a lot of growth myself as a human and mm-hmm. had to learn really quick on the job on my feet and had to look deep within and 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 understand what my role is here in this in this business and how i need to be as a person for my people um how my people want to be treated how we engage with them uh, what we can do to help and better the outcome of of their lives and and in turn better the company um finding the mutual the mutual ground that we both agree upon um the direction of the company how we Message: How we talk to people, becoming a lot more professional uh internally and externally. Like, mm-hmm. there's been a ton of growth for me as as a person since I started this business. I'm not at all uh, the same person, and and I think I'm I'm still evolving, and I'm I'm hungry to be better. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, it's 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 a process, and uh, <laughs> I just make mistakes all the time. I'm proud to make them because those are learning opportunities, and and As long as I own up to them and I'm accountable to them, uh, I'm going to continue moving forward in in, in a manner that I really like to be a part of this story.
1: Yeah, totally. Have you found like particular things that have worked for you along the way? Like have you used particular mentors or books or you mentioned earlier that you've been kind of feeling quite like aligned with the whole sort of stoicism side of things. But have there been particular ways that you've managed your own like personal growth through this?
0: Yeah, I mean, it started out realizing that um, my network was pretty small when it comes to these kinds of discussions of a, of a business or a high level. Like, how should I be? I never had a mentor. Um, mm-hmm. And that was where, uh, when you realize that, like, what do you do? Um, it's a big question. So going through and trying to reach out to as many people as I can, um, being super vulnerable and sharing my my trials and tribulations with a lot of clothes like people that I felt I could share with mm-hmm. um reading a ton of books uh like gobbling up as much information that I can and deducing how that might be for me or how I might uh, use that in my life um yeah. trying a lot of new ways to be as a person, as a manager, as a CEO, um, failing, going back, reiterating and changing and coming back at it again and, and, uh, just constantly ch- trying to be better and, and knowing that I wasn't good enough in the past and I, I needed to be a much better person to be in this role, um, is what motivated me. It was, it was a, a new kind of Light uh, that I needed to chase, and um, yeah, I took a lot of courses. Uh, I went to a uh, uh, some some consultants. Um, Ended up kind of like dealing with some some stuff from the past that uh, had been bogging me about my racing career. Um, Realizing who and how that impacted who I, or sorry, realizing how that impacted who I was previously to to the help that I'm getting. um, a lot of that stuff has been, been helping. And I think that's just like putting it out there to people and saying, Hey, I'm not, I'm not doing perfect. I'd like to be a lot better. Can, can you help me? Um, and, uh, that's been, that's been a huge move for me.
1: Good work, man. Are there any particular books that like stand out? Anything that you've found really useful along the way? Um, yeah, I, I, uh, so I, I
0: stumbled across, uh, the two business books that I really liked was, uh, Brene Brown's dare to lead Okay, taught me more of like, you know, how to interact with people and taking the ego and the, 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 s- the uncomfortable nature of a challenging conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was something that I, I got all of our leadership team to read, and, and we we did actually a kind of a book club study on it. Nice. Um, it really impacted me a lot. That was one yeah. of the biggest ones. Um, and then uh, there's another kind of a business strategy book called Traction. It's a guy by the name of Gina Wickman. Okay. Um, just reading through how each level of a of a company. Um, should be accountable to, to what the common goal is mm-hmm. um, uh, is amazing. Uh, Phil Jackson's book, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's where he was basically goes through how he built the Chico- the, 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 the winning teams of the Chicago Bulls uh, and how okay. everybody has everybody has a place on a team. And if everybody just recognizes their place on the team and plays to the fullest potential, how that team then wins so how do you how do you message that and how do you you know bring that into the culture of the company and and get people to really uh to really buy into the vision which is important um, definitely yeah
1: yeah fascinating so. stuff man and you've you've deliberately i think looked like out of industry certainly for a few roles recently and mm-hmm. the bike industry does tend like there are a lot of bikey people in the bike industry but there are i think more and more companies hiring out of industry into certain areas was Mm -hmm. that was that a very conscious effort from you to bring in like certain skill sets yeah it's
0: so although we are in the bike industry we are very unique and very different than the rest of the bike industry uh i think that a lot of uh experienced bike industry talent um have been taught a certain way to do business and it's not at all the way we do business uh the way we function um and it's very hard for those people to come on and change all of those learned behaviors uh, to become an effective part of we are one um i've learned that from hiring and and unfortunately having to let go a a decent number of those people Mm -hmm. um that there's just no fit there's no alignment something is Being something has happened in their past, and they just they're they're stuck in, and uh, the change is too too dramatic and too abrupt. Um, And I'm not saying it's all on them, but I'm just it's just not a right fit, and you can see it. So I've I've just recognized that, and now focusing more on people that have manufacturing experience, have more related experience to what it is we actually do here at our core, which is might make parts for the bike industry, Um, and just reframing um the the talent search uh in that lens
1: have you found that helpful to have that like i guess it brings a richness that that different background different experience like it's uh there's a potential to leverage it but there's also potential for those people to feel like they don't fit or they're kind of a bit alienated if everyone's going out on a thursday night ride together (laughs) or whatever
0: yeah i mean it's the joys of mountain biking is like i say anybody that hops on one i've been i've been yet to have been privy to someone get on a bike and be like nah, it's not for me i'm not into it <laughs> um they will eventually you know be introduced to it we'll take it easy uh we invite them along and slowly absorb them into that riding culture as their talent gets to a point where they can um you know really really give her and uh it's so far hasn't been a, a big issue um and, and at the end of the day, like, we want a successful company. If we have it full of riders, great. If we can't be successful because um, we, if we can't be successful based on only being a rider-filled uh, company, then, you know, what's the point in being in business? So you have to make the right person that is for the job needs to be given that opportunity. It it can't just be that you ride a bike. It's it's a it's an Elysium and a and an idea that isn't isn't true to a, a solid core foundation for a company.
1: Yeah, agreed. Well, it sounds like we are ones in a in a really good place right now. What else is coming on the product side? So we've talked a bit about um DH bar and stem stuff, but I think there's a few other bits and pieces in the works, right?
0: Yeah, so on the We Are One side, we've got a a ton of new composite products, um, some blended composite and alloy products coming down. I know it's vague, but uh, um, we feel like there's a it's a the time is now for us to introduce a, a hub into the market.
1: Okay, um,
0: cool. it's uh, it's going to be a unique proposition. I think it's a unique way to market. It's the the way it's done is different. Um, the driver mechanism isn't, it's nothing world renowned or, or Mm -hmm. changed, but we focus all of our attention on durability and, and that's what we hang our hat on. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's just time that we do it. We've watched all of the wheel brands, uh, and the hub brands that we work with create complete wheel sets. Um, and now are, are expanding their product line. And, and I've, Always felt like I had to be the nice guy, and we are we create and reciprocate. Uh Um, But it's become um, it's hindered our growth potential, I think, because of those those that mentality and that mindset. So, as much as I love all of the vendors we work with, and I really will continue to push their product and love everything they do, uh, I think it's also time for us to kind of like show the world what what we have in mind as well.
1: Yeah, I'm looking um, forward to seeing that one.
0: Yeah, it's a fun little project that's underway. Um, again, new cockpit update uh, and whatnot. Uh, I've been working on a uh, a an idea ideation, very early stages of a dropper post uh, okay. idea and yeah. plan uh, that I think is I would feel is revolutionary. Okay. Um, we got a new rounded out a rim project for the mid road bike packing and gravel segment coming out. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big market that we haven't played in. And I think it's, yeah, huge. It's, it's time for us to kind of show the people what we can do there and what we can offer for a unique, yeah. a new, a unique product. Um, and then expanding on the frame side. Um, okay. yeah, we've got a lot of, a lot of work going on over there. Um, the arrivals right for an update. Uh, we you've seen the downhill project. Uh, yeah. You know we'd be you know it, it will eventually hit market, but there's a lot of R and D that we would like to learn first before that does. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about uh, gravel uh, bike as well. So those will all kind of come to projects uh, come to head. Uh, and then long term, uh, what do we got going on long term? Oh. I, um, Possible crank development. We'll see. We're not that one's kind of up in the air, but that's that's on the like early, early, early stages of ideation at the moment. So there's nothing in the R and D at at the point right now. So,
1: yeah, man, it has come a long way since we first talked in uh, like 2017, 2018. It's amazing to see, like, it. It's obviously been a, a road with plenty of highs and plenty of lows along the way, but like ultimately you've grown something pretty special there man and it's yeah it's ace <laughs> to see more and more stuff getting done more and more you know talented engineers working under the we R one banner and and putting cool stuff out in the market man so yeah like congratulations on what you've done so far and i'm really excited to see what comes over the next uh, five to ten years because it sounds like there's a lot of cool stuff coming our way
0: no oh, i thank you chris that's uh that's nice of you. um it's been, yeah, it's been a road, no doubt about it. <laughs> Getting a little emotional hearing that. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it has been a road. Um, we have a lot to be proud of, and I think we have a, a lot to prove still. Um, we operate in, a, in a, a small, quiet corner of British Columbia, um, which makes it really, really nice to grow at a rate that not anyone's really paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um And we're kind of in the, in the dark corners doing our thing and (laughs) we drop out of the corner and put something on the market every once in a while. And it's, it's, it's fun to see the reaction. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, uh, suspect that, uh, we're gonna go anywhere soon and, uh, and change and change that, uh, that plan.
1: Awesome. Well, if people want to like check out what you've got going on at the moment, where's the best place for them to look or places for them to look?
0: Uh, the, the standard stuff, our website, we are one composites.com. Um, we have Instagram, Facebook page, um, LinkedIn, um, for, for any hiring or, or anybody looking for a job. And, um, yeah, we're, we're always looking for great people to join the company and, uh, and for customers to experience uh, a handmade in Canada part, um, that we take great pride in, in, in putting in, in and on their bikes.
1: Awesome, man. Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure catching up. I'll stick links to all of that stuff in the show notes and I'll try and dig out some links to some of those books you've mentioned as well. So if anyone's interested in that, they can have a look. But yeah, all the best for the next few years. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to have another catch up in 12 months or so and see how things have progressed
0: yeah we'll we'll see uh i think the market's going to depict a lot of that but uh let's let's hope the next time we chat it's uh it's on a positive note and uh, everybody's thriving and we, we we're bringing those bodies back into the
1: sport fingers crossed man thanks dustin
0: right cheers chris
1: Alright, that's it for this episode with Dustin. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thank you to Seven Mesh for supporting this episode. Don't forget, you can get 20% off all Seven Mesh's incredible clothing, including their brand new air mat range, by using the code Seven Mesh X Downtime 20. That's the number 7 followed by Mesh X Downtime, then the number 20, all lowercase with no spaces. That's Seven Mesh X Downtime 20 over at SevenMesh.com. Seven Mesh shipped globally, and that code is valid until the end of January 2024. Don't forget if you want to help support the podcast, and the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast and setting up a donation. That's Patreon spelled P A T R E O N. I know times are tough for a lot of people right now, so if that doesn't work for you, then no worries. But if you are able to support, then it is much appreciated. We've also got t shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies available over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Make sure you're following the podcast by hitting that button in your podcast app now or by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can also get a bit of extra downtime by signing up to our newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. All right, that's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon, but until next time, get out and ride.